And our, our kids are dismissed to uh, Bible adventures in the nursery, although you're welcome to have them in here if you'd like to do that. Uh, again, I'd like to invite you to be part of the community group that will be meeting tonight at 4 p.m. I'd love to have you involved. If you're not in one, just uh, talk to me. Uh, you are invited. We'd love to have you come and, and share in that time of, of fellowship and, and Bible study. Just let me know that you're interested. I can give you the information um, to, about that uh, tonight. And we're continuing our series um, called Diversity, where we're thinking about why uh, diversity matters to God, why it's important, and why uh, I think it's, it's really valuable as we consider the diversity that we have in our community and how we can be a more diverse place, a place that uh, welcomes all people, and welcomes people of all different kinds of backgrounds. It's really important for us to think about this because it really matters, and perhaps uh, more than ever. I know that everybody today, kind of coming out of the age of enlightenment, like you all think that you're a reasonable person. Like, you're a very reasonable person, and I trust that. Everybody in here is very, very reasonable. I, I trust that. But we all think that we are, right? And then sometimes some people have some different opinions than us or have some different issues, and you're like, wait, wait, you're, you're not reasonable. But everybody thinks that they're reasonable. I mean, coming out of the age of enlightenment, everybody just thinks, like, oh, I'm just making, like, cold, you know, rational decisions. I'm not the one who gets caught up in all this emotion or anything. But in reality, we all do. We live in what's called the like, information age when there's just so much information flying at us constantly that we have to determine at times to, to funnel what it is that we're looking at, what we're choosing to see. If you've ever had something kind of going wrong in, in your body or as a parent, I've had this with, with my kids, like something's going wrong and you Google it and then it's basically like either your kid is fine or he's dying, basically. And there's like, well, what information am I supposed to believe? I don't know. And there's just like so much information that is, is constantly coming at us and we're just like, well, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to see? And so we develop funnels where we're only going to be looking at like certain things or certain perspectives or certain uh, behaviors. Uh, my friend Luke recently uh, wrote a book, and in, in the book he, he says this, we make emotional decisions, and then um, we search for evidence to confirm our already established decisions, and we see these philosophical assumptions played out not only in theology, but also in politics. Modern political theater is our society's Rorschach inkblot test. We vote or, for or against a candidate, then rarely change our opinion. Instead, we spin every story to fit our already established perspectives. If he or she is our candidate, then the negative report is a lie. If he or she is their candidate, then the positive report is fake news. And I know that as you read that, you go, oh, I wish my uncle was here. Like, uh, if only you could show him, I, that'd be so great. His, his like, political beliefs are so far, like, I just, I can't believe that he actually believes that. But we don't just do this in politics, and it's not just like your crazy uncle that does this. There was a study done at, at Yale University where they had two um, test groups, and to the one group, they um, asked them uh, what percent they would say, they, 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 on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident they were that they could explain how a toilet works. And so the people, when they were asked to rate it before they had to explain it, they gave a certain number. And then they asked the same group the question, how does a toilet work? And then they'd have the people like describe it and go through the process. And then at the end, they'd say, well, how accurate were you in that description on a scale of 1 to 10? And they found that the people who were asked to explain it first, they were way more confident in the fact that their explanation was the right explanation. So they said to this group, you know, if you're able to explain it, go ahead. And when they would explain it, then as they were explaining it, they're like, yeah, that's probably right, you know? Like, that's exactly how a toilet works. And in reality, it's actually a little more complicated to explain how a toilet works. And the group that first was confronted with, do you actually know how to do it, give a rating, those people rated themselves lower. 
That's what's called like, confirmation bias, that if you start to say something about a certain thing, then you start to believe that you're an expert on a thing, even when you probably aren't. Just because you've talked about it doesn't mean that you actually know anything about it. So this is true of all of us. It's not just in politics. It's not just like a certain crazy person that you know. No, it's in all areas of life. Like we have the ability to talk ourselves into things and to start to believe we know, you know, how the world works or how anything is we just by saying it and thinking that we know. That's pretty dangerous. And this is why I think more than ever, we need diverse communities of people. People who believe different things about stuff. People who have like different backgrounds and different ideas to come together sometimes to help us realize I was wrong. I don't know how it is for everybody else. I was wrong. I don't like have the corner on the market on like how rationally to see the world. The book of Isaiah has this this beautiful picture of what God's hope and view is for the world. And it says it like this. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling will together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. This is a scene that is just nice. It sounds cool, like all these animals living together, and it's like really peaceful when you read it. And perhaps if you grew up as as a Christian, had like a Christian grandma or something, maybe in her bathroom she had a cross stitch of this, like, you know, a lion laying down with a lamb. Perhaps it was a picture that looks something like this. And I know it goes, oh, that's so cute, isn't it? It's so nice. Although I would argue that lion looks like he needs some therapy. And I love, I love therapy, but like, that lion doesn't look like a, like a terrifying lion. That lion just looks like one that, yeah, I would, the lion has no reason um, to, to be afraid. But what Isaiah is describing, I think, is actually something much different than this. It's not like that this precious moment thing where it's like, oh, this is just so nice. And I wish I was there too, just like cuddled up next to the lion. What this Isaiah passage is describing is a place where there's threatening people, people who would sometimes be in opposition to each other, showing up together. And spending time in community. Because the lamb has like legit reason to not show up and just be all lovey-dovey with the lion. And the lion then is going to eat straw like an ox instead of a lamb. And this is a community of people that is laying down its life for each other. It's different people coming together. And it's hard for us to to see what this is like or to understand, but let me put this in a little bit of modern terms. And I tried to get a little bit offensive, but hopefully we can get even more offensive if you come to it. The Tea Party Republican will sit with the Bernie Sanders superfan. The KKK member will learn from the Black Lives Matter activists. And the bacon-loving barbecue aficionado will eat vegan at potlucks. And we could go on, right? You probably have some others that you would think, like, who are the people that are pretty polarizing groups that it would be hard for them to sit together and hard for them to, like, lay down their lives and learn from each other? This is the kind of community that Isaiah is envisioning. 
that this is going to be a God-led, spirit-led community where different groups of people are together, where they, they learn from each other, where they worship God together, and people from the outside will look at it and go, there's no way those zoo animals can get along together, right? There's, there's no way that a bear can hang out with a cow. There's no way that that person can hang out with that person, but how is it that that group of people is able to do that? And the answer would be because of Jesus Christ, ultimately. Because what I have in common with my brother and sister is more powerful than what I view them as opposite in other certain areas of life. And a spirit-led community, it's, it's so interesting to think of this. Like this, this sounds like a musical, right? A wolf laying down with a lamb, leopard with a goat, a little child is leading them. It reminds me of what it looks like to be a, like a spirit-led place. As a preacher, I've seen this not only in the diversity that we have here, but I've seen times when I feel like God's Spirit is really leading me personally. Uh, there are times when I'm, I'm ready to preach on Sunday, and I'm just super excited. Like, I just get up, and I'm like, all right, I have something to say today, and I'm really pumped, and this is just going to blow their minds, basically. I'm getting up here, and I'm really excited. It's something that maybe God has more for me even than for you, but I'm excited. We can hold on for that one, Simon. Wait a minute. Um, we... And I'm pumped pumped about what I'm doing, and at the point when I'm like just saying whatever it is I'm really passionate about, I want to have like a mic drop moment, but it's hard with this, because it's like you got to get not really as effective as that. And I think like this point is really going to move everybody in the room. And then sometimes you guys are like, oh, that's cool. Thanks, Brian. Like, oh, Oh, thanks, Brian. Thanks for that. Like, that was kind of helpful. And then there's other times when I will tell May, this happened, you can ask her, it happened several times in our marriage. I was like, I just feel like this has not come together this week. Can you please let's say some extra prayer for me? This one doesn't really seem to be like feeling the same way. And I would say without fail, every time I've said that to many, one of you will come up to me and say, that changed my life today. And maybe I should just say that every time because then I would probably maybe get, get, get that feedback. Someone sent me this meme once. You can put that up, Simon, now. Go ahead. Um, I, I thought my sermon would be good, and it was just okay. I thought my other sermon wasn't good, and everyone loved it. I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, that's, that's, that is how, that is how I, I, I feel at times as a leader, as a leader of a faith, faith community. And this picture here in this, this community of people in Isaiah, this is really, dis, a really distinct group of people. It's like, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It has to be God that's leading them. Like, otherwise, there's just no explanation. It just doesn't make sense. How do those kinds of people like live together in that sense of community? And it's because of what God is doing in all of their lives. And this is a vision that I think Paul really grabs hold of uh, in the New Testament. And he writes so much of the letters to the New Testament, helping to get different, like very distinct groups of people to live together. Because Paul is saying it's hard, it's difficult, especially for the, the Jewish people who had had the, the tradition on their side and had the law, which had been understood as, as a gift to them. The people of Egypt had been led out of slavery, and they were given these, these laws to help them form this community. And then it makes them start to feel like they're pretty unique and pretty special because of the laws that they're following. And this is much of what Jesus is interacting with in the New Testament, is they had not only like followed the law, but then the law on top of the law. And so Jesus is helping them to recognize like this ultimately isn't what makes you special. The law isn't the thing. Like, what ultimately it is, is your relationship with God. That is 
the thing. And the law helps you to get there. And some of these laws you should still pay attention to, and some of them you should still consider significant. But what God has done through Jesus is he's inviting us into a new kind of community. He's inviting us into a new place, a place where we would recognize the good news of God in our world, and it was a different sort of people. So the number one issue, considering much of the New Testament, as we've talked about a couple times in the series, is circumcision, because they're trying to understand how can a Gentile become a Jew in this, like, what are we supposed to do? How is this supposed to be worked out? And Paul is, is very, very intense in that. He's basically like, if you guys want to force these new people to do that, then you ought to go first and just go the whole way. And that's actually in the Bible. That's what Paul says. He says, if you're going to put this thing and say, like, we're set apart, like, because of, of, of circumcision, that's only it. If that's what you think, then go ahead and go first and go the whole way. Because this isn't ultimately what makes you special. What makes you special is your calling from God. And Paul is trying to convince these people that what is ultimately going to be your witness to the world is your willingness to follow God with your life. And it's going to look like different people loving each other. It's going to look like a different way than we've ever seen this before. And it's easy for us to fall into this way of thinking. Even today, it's easy for us to start to think like, you know, I'm maybe better than the average person because I'm, I'm there at church somewhat regularly. You know, I'm there. I participate. I, I serve at Ascensia sometimes. I'm volunteering with Family Promise. Like, it's easy to start to think like this is what my identity is. But ultimately, what those things are isn't like to justify us more in front of God. It's ultimately just us loving our community so other people can come and be part of what God is doing through all of us. It's easy when you do follow some part of the the religious order to think that it's about justifying yourself. That's always a dangerous perspective. There are times in, in our marriage where Mandy has said to me, well, Brian, I think you maybe need to work on this. And what I say is, thank you so much, honey. I want to go pray about that and how I can like best, best apply that um, to my life. Of course I don't do that. What I am easily like starting to think of is, well, let me tell you about this other husband that I know. Let me tell you how lucky you are that you're married to me. Like, I can easily, that's, like, that's the way that, that I can go in my mind. And that's the way that we all are. It's like when we maybe are called out on something or when something is uncomfortable, we can start to go to that place where we, we justify ourselves and say, well, let me tell you why I'm okay. Or let me go with this. And this is one of the things that is a problem for the New Testament churches is many of them are just justifying themselves in, in ways that Paul is trying to say, this is not ultimately what defines you. What defines you now is your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is how you see things moving forward. And so you should see yourself in a certain way because of that. So for in the book of 1 Timothy, uh, for example, 1 Timothy 1, he says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. 
the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. This is one of the last letters that we think Paul writes. He's writing uh, to Timothy, who he's trying to be a mentor in the faith to. And it's interesting to see the maturation process of Paul because there are times in some of his earlier letters where he writes about some of his background and why he should be listened to because of like some of these things that he's done that are important and significant. And it's not that they aren't important or significant, but eventually as he matures in his understanding of who Jesus is, as he gets a little older and he's writing to Timothy, he's not going to talk about his accomplishments or what he once did that he thought was important. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. If they were asking for the front or back of the sin line, I would say, I'm at the front. I'm number one. I'm broken, and I need the grace of God. And this, I think, is a way that we all need to actively view ourselves. That we are here not because of some sort of achievement, but because we are trying desperately to connect our lives to the grace and love of God. And that is what defines us as a community. We aren't going to focus on our differences. We aren't going to focus on the things that separate us. We aren't going to think about the things that don't hold us together. And much of the world that I think we live in is a community of comparison. So we're at work and we're trying to compare ourselves, wondering, you know, what is it that that person makes next to me? Are you in your neighborhood? And like, how, how did that person afford a new car? So much of what we're going through, I think, in our world is like this community of comparison. And what we should be instead is as we look at differences, as we look at different things about other people, we should be a place of celebration. When I was finishing at grad school, there was a friend of mine who started preaching at, at, a, at a really big church. He graduated with me at the, the same time when, when I was finishing up, and he got this job. And, and I have to admit, when he got that job, I was like, how did that guy get that job? Because preachers think just like you guys do. And so I was like, oh, that's, I mean, I'm happy for him, but like, I, don't, I don't know that I'm that happy for him. And like, he, he started, started working started working there, and I remember a few years later, I was, like, his name came up, and I was saying something to a friend of mine about him, and uh, my friend said, Brian, it sounds like you're jealous of him, and I said, no, no, no way, me, like, jealous, no way, I'm not actually jealous of him, and he said, no, no, I, I think you are, it's okay, and I recognize it because it happened to me previously, and so he said, what I'd like you to do is every time that person's name gets brought up, I want you to just say nice things about him, and there are good things about this guy, and I want you to, to say him. And eventually, I think if you start practicing that, you're going to learn to celebrate him. And you're going to have a better perspective. And that guy might become your friend. And it's true. That guy has become a friend of mine. It's easy for us when we see other people and some of the things that they're doing or accomplishing to maybe like start to compare ourselves 
What if we could be a community when there are differences among us, when there are different things that people are doing? What if we could be a place where we celebrate those differences? We value them. We don't try to be a place that's just always comparing ourselves to other people. We instead celebrate the things that are different about us. And at times when other people or in other situations might tend to get defensive or might tend to get jealous, what if we were a community that said, you know what, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm not perfect. I'm broken. And so I'm so happy for my brother or my sister. And I don't think we're very good at celebrating each other in our world today. What would it look like for us to be a place that celebrated the diverse things about us and among us? Because it's amazing what can happen if love like that was in the world. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls and it gives this huge list of all of these different nations and all of these people who are now uh, together and speaking the same language in this miraculous moment. There are many, many nations that are mentioned, but in Acts 2.11, it tells us that the Cretans and Arabs are there, and they are like all like worshiping God. They're all declaring the wonder of God in their own tongues. And I know that you don't really know that much about this, perhaps. I didn't really until I was reading some things about this recently, but Cretans and Arabs, they despised each other like Samaritans and Jews, which we've talked about. A Cretan wouldn't want to be on a list with an Arab, and vice versa. But because of what God is doing, these hearts are transformed. Because of who Christ is, these people who once had this certain perspective for each other now have walls broken down such a blessing to be in a church community with diverse backgrounds, diverse ages. It's a blessing to be in a place where we aren't uniform. I had a friend of mine who was at a, a church that, um, I don't, I don't want to say the name of the church because it's in L.A., but there's several thousand people in a, a really, it was a really hopping, like really popular uh, place to be. Um, and he was, was there and just decided that it it wasn't the place for him anymore. And so he started going to a church that's about 30 people. And he said, I got to tell you, Brian, this feels like church now. Like, it's a distinct, like it's groups of people. There's a lot of like weird people there. He's like, at the church I was at previously, everyone dressed like a hipster. And it was all kind of the same. It was all just like the same. It was like this homogenous, even though it was very large, it was like a, just a uniform, like homogenous group of people. And he said, it now feels like I'm, I'm part of something that's like has a lot of distinct characters and it's just like kind of different and strange. It, it feels like I'm actually living out Christianity for the first time in many years. And I think we all need communities like that a place where we rub up against each other in different ways, people who are different than us, people who, who sometimes challenge us. And that's something that we need perhaps more than ever. I love how St. Augustine uh, says this. He says, the effects of sin, uh, he describes them in Latin as incurvitas in se, which means curved inward on oneself. And if I was to use a, a phrase to describe what I think is a major problem in our world today, I would say it's that that we are all curved inward on ourselves. 
one of the blessings of technology is that we get a real catered life experience, right? And you're going to go home this afternoon and whatever it is that, that you like or enjoy, you can look at it on your phone, you can watch it on like, whatever, like your TV or your computer, and it's going to be like a very personalized, catered experience to you. And I say that as one who like, participates in that. It's easy for me to get caught up. I'm a, a fantasy baseball player, which basically admits I'm a real nerd. Uh, I know the closer on the, the Royals. Like, you don't even need to know what that means, maybe. But for a fantasy baseball player, you, you know uh, what that means or, or why that's important. And we all have our things that we like, enjoy, perhaps, more than the average person. But unfortunately, one of the things that technology does is it connects us more with just like, like-minded people. So there's a bunch of fantasy baseball nerds out there. There's a bunch of stuff that I read that you would say that is like the most boring thing I've ever heard of. But I would say some of the same stuff about what you're looking at too. Not to be mean, but that, that's, how, that's how we would be. And so we live in a world, I think, that is just increasingly, we're just, just curved into ourselves. That we have this catered, like personalized world experience. And that's why it's so important for us to be around people that are different because I think we're curved in on ourselves and we're killing ourselves in this way. And so you look at some people's posts on, on Facebook or on social media or something, and you think, how does that person possibly view the world like that? And they would think the same thing about you. Or why is that person doing that? Why is that person doing those things in that way? We continue to like separate instead of being part of the communities that I think we're designed to be a part of. Places where we experience people who are different than us. And it's profound when we see that. And it's really like a lion and a lamb laying down together. It's the lion choosing to eat straw. There's a movie that was released several years ago that's always uh, worth going back to watch called Remember the Titans. And it's a, a movie about uh, an Alexander, Virgi- Alexandria, Virginia, where an integrated school in 1971 hired an African-American coach. And one of the things that the coach did first is he had the, the, groups of, the group of kids go out and have a couple weeks together, and he had the, the black players, like, room with the white players so they could slowly get to know each other. It has a lot of, like, friction when that is going on, and it continues to be a source of friction uh, throughout uh, the movie. But in a scene towards the end of the movie, you see what happens when diverse groups of people have worked and lived and work toward a common goal together. Here's a scene from the end of the movie with two of the star athletes. Only Ken's allowed in here. Alice, are you blind? Don't you see the family resemblance? That's my brother. Sorry, man. I should have been there with you. What are you talking about? You would have been in the bed right next to me. You 
can't be hurt like this. afraid of you, Julius. I only saw what I was afraid of. And I don't know, I was only hating my brother. I tell you what, though. Um, when all this is over, and you gonna move out the same neighborhood together. Okay, and, um, we get old, we gonna get fat. It ain't gonna be all this black-white between us. <laughs> Left side. Strong side. This short clip, I think, helps us to realize what God's hope for the world is. The people with distinct backgrounds, especially in a place like Alexander, Virginia, Alexandria, Virginia in 1971, could be brothers. Again, I'm so thankful for the, the church family that we have here. I got to visit Thelma Chodo in the hospital this week, and I was touched being there with her, thinking that she's like a grandma to me. Because for so many years, she's she's been here. We've shared meals together. We've shared time together. So many of you in this room, I feel the same way about you. You're an extra grandma or an extra mom, dad, brother, sister. And it's only Jesus Christ that unites us, Right? I probably wouldn't have even met any of you or most of you if it wasn't for Jesus and the story of the gospel which captivates all of us. But may we continue to understand what the vision of God is for our community and for our lives. A place where the lion and the lamb are together. A place where the lion decides to eat vegan sometimes for the good of the community. May we recognize God's call on all of our lives to be a distinct group of people that those on the outside would say, how on earth does that group stay together? It's because of the love of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your love which defines us. And I pray that more and more we could be a distinct group of people who focus not on our differences but on who you are and we allow that to continue to move us forward. Father, as we sing now, may we recognize that it is only you who gives us the answer to seek this kind of unity. It's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.